you're listening to this and you have limited experience with unschooling and you have the the mindset that it is a privileged thing that you have to have a certain level of resources to do it I challenge that I challenge that we have it backwards we take childhood and we put childhood in in a prison and we say like you earn the right to your freedom and liberation and your own thoughts and knowledge of self when you get to 18 or 21 or whatever whereas i believe and my observations are that if you have that freedom and that space when you are young one the people you bring with you the the way that when marley and sage and many other unschooling kids are in a space other children start to bring their resistance muscles up just like when i'm in a space with people who are free at another level i'm like oh shit i can just get more tattoos i can it could be a simple thing like that or it could be a bigger thing like leaving a job or another toxic relationship right there's a contagion around that that i'm also really excited about so if you think that unschooling is not for you, replace the word unschooling with freedom and then start to investigate from that space. Can I be free? What might freedom look like at this level? Can it be incremental? It does my child deserve to be free? What does freedom mean to my child or any child? Am I in relationship with that knowledge? Yeah. The Grow Dialogue podcast is a liberation project that explores equity, inclusion, belonging, conflict resolution, and culture in the workplace and beyond, including in our personal relationships, families, and communities. Each week, my co-host, Mariella Marie, and I will bring you insightful guest interviews and artistic expressions curated to amplify emerging voices who are sharing practices that support society's transition to a more collaborative, just, sustainable, and liberating coexistence. We live during a time when divisiveness and polarization dominate the social, economic, and political discourse. In response to this reality, and empowered with the skills of authentic dialogue and systems thinking, I created an anti-oppression framework for social sustainability called Theory of Indivisibility to help illuminate a different path forward. Our hope is that these conversations and calls to action will ignite tolerance and empathy provide guidance for our global listeners who want to actively engage in ending all forms of oppression while creating thriving relationships in the workplace and beyond. I'm Dr. Sunjata Sunjata. Let's grow dialogue. Here we are once again, back to another episode of the Grow Dialogue podcast. And I'm excited this time to introduce you all to a good friend, uh, someone that I learned from, someone that I love, someone that, you know, I, I, I found through my, my curiosity, and we're going to get into that, uh, but someone who's become a friend and, and a true love. So I'm, I'm just so excited to be joined by Akila S. Richards. How are you doing today? Hey, what's up, Sanjata? I'm good. I'm good. And it's always, always good to just like kick it with you out loud not out loud whatever we doing if Sanjata's like come through I'm like all right <laughs> yes 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 so um let's jump right into it let's let's jump into it let's let's give the listeners and the watchers um some more context into into who you are um and I want to start by asking you who are you how do you define yourself yeah um I love that you start with that question because I think it's just a great 
point of inquiry, like at any time. And I feel like my answer to that question varies depending on when I'm asked it, you know? So it's like in this moment, one of the things that's top of mind is that I'm Valerie's daughter. You know, I am her one daughter. She said, Valerie, one daughter, one picnic. Um, and that feels really special to me because being Valerie's also means the, the line that she comes from. Um, I am a person who sees myself as being in service in a lot of different ways, including service to myself. Um, I am a black woman. That's a really important part of uh, my identity and my questions. <laughs> um, I am the woman that Marley and Sage Niambi chose to come through, which is pretty powerful. Yeah, well, those are the things that are top of mind at the moment, yeah. Awesome, thank you. So you're joining us on our family culture theme of, of shows. And so I'd like to ask you, within the context of your family's culture, who are you? Yeah. Um, a lot of similar things, a lot of the same things that I just said. So being Chris, my partner, um, I'm his person and he's mine in terms of not ownership, but design. You know, we, we're designing this thing together. We are learning and unlearning together. And that's been really powerful for us, for Marley and Sage, and for other family members who witness how we live, because we live very much outside of convention. And that is rich education for a lot of people, including ourselves. So I'm also um, a guide and a teacher and a student. And I think teacher and student are the same thing to me. Um, and so I'm, I'm in different versions of that. I would say also that in my family structure, I am hmm, an agitator. <laughs> um, my friend Bio, who wrote the foreword for my latest book, um, compared me to Eshu, which is a, um, a Yoruba, let's say, entity who a part of their, a part of what they're known for is mischief and trouble and stirring up things. But in that stirring up, there's wisdom. Um, so that particular Orisha embodies that. And I was like, hmm, I dig that. <laughs> I love yeah. it. I love it. So <clears throat> I like how you said, you know, when you mentioned that you were um, Valerie's daughter, right? Your mom's Valerie? Mm -hmm. Valerie's daughter, you, you, you also, acknowledge that that means you know not just valerie but all the the people the women um and the men that that yeah. came or just the people the humans that that birthed you know this lineage um could you speak to like you know how do you ground yourself in your lineage where where are you from um what have you taken from that inquiry into you know your heritage your lineage and how does that represent who you are in the world yeah I love the question because lineage and culture are, of course, intertwined to me. I'd say they're inextricably linked. Um, I'm a Jamaican in terms of where my, my body showed up in this realm. Um, that is also a really important part of my identity because 
um, I also had the opportunity to, I left Jamaica. My, my mom brought us to the U.S. when I was 10, but I was able to go back to Jamaica as an adult through our daughters in our unschooling journey and spent uh, probably about six years six consecutive years spending half of the year in Jamaica or a little bit less and just really being able to notice elements of culture and history and distinguish parts that feel right for me and other parts that I'm in inquiry around, like parts that are tied to British colonialism, which is also an aspect of Jamaican history um, and help shape the culture. Um, so that feels really important to me. Also, as somebody in dark skin, um, that's an important part of my identity and culture because Jamaica, unlike the U.S., uh, classism and colorism are very prominent. And because Jamaica is so small, the impact of it is like really direct. And I think a lot of my sense of power and confident autonomy has come from understanding uh, the magic, the alchemy, the beauty that is the skin that I'm in and the history of that and um, having a, a history that also includes Taino people um, and Maroons and you know people who have been living inside a culture and also embodying and creating from the history of their culture before what they were in. And, and I feel very connected to that as an unschooler, being able to design and imagine and live into things that are beyond my current situation or my current knowing. And I think much of that comes from uh, being a Jamaican that's been able to live both there and here um, and in other places. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I will say that I've noticed, you know, from other people who of Jamaican descent that I know, um, you when I like a lot of Jamaican people that I know will speak to kind of the the heaviness of the expectations of the cultural norms. And knowing you, you're one of the one of the only Jamaican people that I know that lives beyond them and doesn't um, feel like confined to them. Um, you're more open to exploring, questioning, inquiring, challenging, um, pushing back. Um, you know, I've observed you through our friendship as well as through your work um, to do that in ways I haven't seen, you know, very many Jamaican people that I know do. Um, so I find that very interesting. And I wanna ask like, what role would you say your family culture growing up played a part in you becoming who you are today or as that agitator, as you said, that you are within your family culture? Yeah, so I, my, in terms of my family culture that I grew up with, like the people that were alive and well when I was young and even now, um, because even though we're in the US, our culture is still super dominant in our family structure. We, When we left Jamaica, we went to South Florida, which is like little Jamaica. Like Jamaicans, go to, we go to New York, we go to London, we go to Miami. It's like a list of places, or not London, but England, certain places we go. Um, and so I was very much steeped in positive elements of the culture and also parts that I now challenge. I also, because of my 
personality and the energies that comprise me no matter where I am no matter where I'm from I'm also always like always gonna be counter culture in some ways that that is just I'm just made like that I really feel like the the energies that comprise me are about a level of like resistance and inquiry and imagination so I find that I tend to be like when we go back to Jamaica I'm around people who don't fit the standard in terms of their uh, sexual identity and orientation um, or their connection to things like Rastafarianism that has very specific things that you do and don't do, but those people will be connected to it and doing a lot of things that are on the don't do list. Um, and so I think much of that, again, just comes from the 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 energies that comprise me. For example, my grand aunt, Aunt Del, who I didn't have a lot of interaction with when she was alive. My mother tells me all the time that I remind her so much of her. I even look like her. And she was like sort of an outcast in our family in a lot of ways. And I feel like her, the things she wasn't able to do are alive in me and I feel like I'm just in touch with a lot of those things um, I also have always been a person to ask a lot of questions I've been silenced you know in physical ways and audible ways and all of these things for asking questions and I remember being little and, and asking a question about religion for example and getting like a physical consequence that shit just fascinated me it just made me more interested <laughs> so um I continue to do that. And then I also think that Marley and Sage, um, our daughters, they also pull that out in me because so much of how they get down with Chris and me is like questioning things, resisting things. And I relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as I'm, as I'm hearing you say it, it just, it, it just informs, you know, my understanding of how you were able to show up as Marley and Sage's parent and honor their their requests and their pushback um, from traditional education, um, which you know I, I would like to transition to, you know how I met you and, and the context from which I met you, uh, which was as an unschooling mom, right? So that's that's how I you came onto my radar and. You know, I, I want to share the story with, with our, <laughs> our, our viewers and listeners. Um, so it was, let's say, I was a public school teacher uh, for five years. I come from a family of educators and, you know, never thought I would be an educator. So I kind of resisted that path for some years once I graduated undergrad, but found my, my way into teaching eventually um, back in like 2008. And after five years of being in the system, I could no longer do it. And I remember like maybe two years in, I realized that the system of the public school system, just I saw all the flaws and I started looking for alternatives, start reading about a bunch of alternatives, et cetera. Eventually in 2012, when I walked away, um, I started thinking about starting a school. I wanted to start something that I felt like could work for everybody uh, because I saw the conventional school system as you know being designed in a way systemically that created the haves and the haves not have nots. It created the the social economic stratification that is a marker for for our society 
and I saw the education system that was supposed to be this place where, you know, it, it created opportunities and, and opportunities for everyone to learn and thrive and grow. I literally saw it as just like a holding place to put people in the various, you know, social categories of, you know, haves and have nots, poor, middle class, wealthy, et cetera. So anyway, as I'm on my journey, I'm learning. And eventually, probably a, about a, right when I'm about to either leave or right soon after I left, I learned about this concept called unschooling. And it, it amazed me and it blew my mind because I was excited because I saw an educational framework and model where everyone can succeed because it was literally based on people learning through their, their interests, their passions, their natural ways of being. It wasn't a place where anyone could be wrong. And it, it put in my mind the idea that like failing at learning, like that's not even possible because learning is something that we just do naturally. So how can you fail at it? You know, so within the context of conventional schooling, you can fail, but within unschooling, you can't fail because it's just about learning based on your natural inclinations. And I saw and did a lot of research, all the skeptical things that people who critique unschooling have in their mind. And if you're hearing this for the first time, you may be thinking some of those things, whatever you're thinking, I thought it. And I, and I, but I, I went beyond my skepticism and I sought, let's say answers. And I wanted to see how people were solving for those skeptical questions that I have. And every time I looked deeper, I found answers and solutions on how people were navigating all those questions. So fast forward, 2017, I'm, I'm about to start my program. Um, and I remember meeting up with a, a, some, some, some people here in Atlanta who were like uh, business people that I was meeting with, like mastermind with at a, at a small startup tea shop called Just That Honey uh, Tea Company that a friend of mine and his wife uh, were starting in Atlanta. And I was there, had the meeting, went home, hopped on Facebook, jumped into this and saw a post from this Facebook group that I was in. Um, and someone, it was a Facebook group that highlighted black businesses and someone posted about Just That Honey. And I was like, oh, I was there, you know, today. And I looked at the person uh, who happened to be named Leslie Bray. I looked at her profile and I saw a kid cultivators unschooling community. And when I saw that, I was like, what? Cool, I gotta check her out. Cause you know, unschooling, home, unschooling and homeschooling, you know, same, same, same energy. So I wanted to see what, you know, where that would lead me. And when I when I jumped to Leslie's page and I started scanning down her Facebook page for kid cultivators, I got really excited because it was a group of people, a group of um, you know, African American people who were doing this homeschooling, unschooling thing in community with one another. I was like, oh, that's so dope. I was amazed. I kept scrolling and I saw someone named Akila S. Richards. I'm like, oh, let me click on her name. So I clicked on that and it took me to Akila's page. And I saw that Akila had a podcast called Fair of the Free Child. And I saw that Akila was also based in the Atlanta area. I was like, what? More people that look like me that's doing this? Because at that point, I felt like I was on an island. I had left public school. No one that I worked with was talking this way, doing these things. Most of the people that I was learning about unschooling from up until this point were people of European descent that I was following their blogs, reading their websites, etc. So when I when I found Leslie and then I found Akila, and I, I realized they were in Atlanta, I was like, I just couldn't believe it that there were actually people, you know, who, who shared my cultural experience, who were speaking about this and living this. 
And it made it that much real, you know, for me. And it made me realize, you know, I'm not out here alone. And that was so exciting. I immediately went to Akilah's website and there was this, this uh, like leave a message button. <laughs> and I left a message and we, you know, she reached out and we've been rocking ever since. Yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> I love telling that story because it was so serendipitous. It was just like timing, you know, I just happened yeah. to be in the right place at the right time. And this I love it. Yeah. And you were already like seeking <laughs> in that space. So like vibrationally, those things. And first of all, shout out to Just Add Honey. Just like yes. fantastic. The the success is well earned and the teas are delicious. Yes. Shout out to Leslie Bray, who has also become a good friend, a sister friend. And Leslie's still doing amazing work around community and um, freeing ourselves from certain ideas and confines around learning and relationship. So I love that those were the stepping stones into this. I don't even think I remember that it was the Just Add Honey connecting, like that's kind of nice. I'm loving it. Yeah, I love it because also when you think about how each of us have kind of evolved and we all kind of got to know each other and we still kind of interact. Yep. You know, just that honey at that point, they were a pop-up shop. Yep. Now they have two locations. No, they have one main location. Now eventually, at one point they had two, but they have one, you know, main. Yes, off the belt line. Mm -hmm. Yep, I just They're went. A lot home. of success. Yes, yeah. I mean, just fantastic. And I love community-wise, including Leslie, the way that there's this, this emphasis on what we can do together. It isn't this you know, the colony of success, I'ma make it and that's the success. It's like, no, the we part is yeah. still in the equation and I really respect that, yeah. Indeed, indeed. And and from my perspective, when I talk about success, you know, I'm, I talk, I think about it from the perspective of people walking in their purpose and seeing how it evolves and thinking about how you and Leslie have continued to collaborate and Leslie's have several projects that, you know, that I know that she's doing and putting out into the world as I continue to follow her work and it's just it's just been beautiful, beautiful serendipity. And I love sharing that story with people. Um, and, you know, the Fair to Free Child podcast, um, you know, so if you can share just as a part of your journey, you know, how did you land on creating this podcast, coming up with that name and creating this podcast and this, which ultimately became like a community of people who wanted to raise free people? Yeah. Um... <sighs> So first of all, I, the other thing that I didn't know until now is that we made our, our exits the same year because 2012 was the year that Chris and I finally was like, oh, okay, Marley and Sage, we're going to stop essentially patting you on the head and actually listen and withdraw you from school prison. That was 2012. Big, wow. big, big things. Um, and then so 2016, uh, the summer of 2016 was also the year that uh, Alton Sterling and Philando Castile, two black men, um, were murdered by police. And that I'd also I'd been writing, you know, about unschooling and um, intergenerational dynamics for a lot of different spaces. And so I was forming a community already through my writing. I was writing primarily for really dope site called Everyday Feminism, which is still up. They just operate a little differently. And then I, a little bit later, I was writing for another site called Ravishly. And so I was, I had a, a small newsletter of folks where we were, you know, in inquiry around these things. Like what, what would it mean if we weren't focused on school? You know, what if we didn't have school centric lives, you know, like these sort of things. And then 
after those two murders in 2016, I was getting messages from some of the folks who were part of this community that was forming saying, essentially, see, this is why we know we can't unschool. Um, and not just unschool as in pulling your kids from school, but some of the other things that we were learning that unschooling was about, like autonomy and respect and listening to your kids and apologizing when you do messed up shit, like things that a lot of us culturally were like, what are you even talking about? But something instinctively was saying, wait a minute, this is, this is another human. This is, I want to be in relationship, not dominance, you know, like... We didn't have a lot of language, but we had a lot of vibration. And so when people were reaching out to me, sending me messages saying, see what I'm saying? We cannot be at the park at one o'clock on a Tuesday. My two teen boys can't be there because blah, 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 they're going to get killed. And everything in me had a combination of empathy and resonance right. and anger. I was like, the f yo, this is exactly why we have to be doing this. We have to figure out what it looks like. I, I can't give you a prescription for what it looks like where you are, but I can talk to you about the consequence, the cost, which is where F-A-R-E came from, the fair, the cost of continuing to diminish ourselves and our children because of the things we're afraid of. Anything to me that lives and grows from what we're afraid of is destined to cost us more of whatever we're afraid of. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I wanted, I wrote a little bit about that. And then something else said, voice it, you know, like say it. I wanted people to hear my anger. I have a very close-knit relationship with my anger. I'm not afraid of it. It is guidance for me. It is a portal for me. Um, it helps me to remember not to try to think through everything because when I'm mad, I'm not fucking focused on the thought. There are a lot of different energies that get to come through. You know, one of my favorite rap groups, um, one of the guys in it says, we all know anger is the realest way to convey what you're feeling. Um, Earth Gang. And that's so true for me, right? Like it's a portal when I'm angry. And so, and I'd done a small podcast before, but I was like, all right, I know how to podcast. So I'm gonna do it again. And I'm just gonna talk about this and I'm gonna call it fair of the free child because there is a cost to raising a free child, like the thing everybody was saying, but there's also a cost to trying not to have them be free, especially since we are not free. And I wanted to be in conversation because I'm like, I don't know, can we raise free people since we're not free? What the fuck does free even mean to each of us? Like all of these different things. So I started the podcast, one, to be mad out loud, straight up. And then also to invite inquiry around like, okay, so then what do we do? What do you do where you are? Especially for black folks because of the the history of us being, the word that I use is hunted, right? And that, and the impact of that on our psyche and that when you are in a position where you don't feel like in dominant culture, you have power, one of the consequences and byproducts of that sometimes is that whoever you do have power over, you use the same kind of power that's used on you. Right. So I was seeing that in my own household and in a lot of other places. And so the podcast was a space to talk about that. And then, as you said, it really became a community around that. It changed my life. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it brought so many people into my world like you. It, it helped me feel different than isolated as you were talking about being on an island. It, I never thought unschooling was just white people shit. Um, correction, I did for a hot second. And then I realized how much of that was also my a, a trap that I'd fallen into. So I also wanted to talk about that. I'm like, how is liberation for rich people or white people? What does that even mean? I wasn't even sure if it was true or not. I just wanted to talk about it. So that's how the podcast came to be. And as a result of that, that's how the term raising free people, I, I ultimately was like, oh, that's essentially what we're trying to do. And free people includes ourselves. Mm-hmm. And raising is not just about parenting. It is about ascension, like out of, right? Yeah. So powerful. <laughs> so powerful. So much, you know, so much. Um, so could you tell me, what have you discovered are some of the costs of raising free people? Bruh, <laughs> how much time do we have? <laughs> um, the level of shadow work, right? Which is essentially about digging into your own spaces that you either haven't been in relationship with or that you constructed to be to feel safe. You know, if you were, for example, in a household where you didn't get to speak your mind, um, sometimes that means that when other people speak their minds, you, you're you not okay with that. It makes you upset. It makes you scared. It, you know, like, and it is, it can be really exhausting to be in a space where your shadow work is like, ah, you know, when it's t- in the back and you're like, mm, I don't need to deal with it. I could just deal with the things that feel good. When you're raising free people, you learn to move away from the idea of something feeling good or something feeling bad and you move into being with what is and being with what is can really hurt and it can be confusing and it can certainly be messy as you know with the work that you do through grow dialogue you know it's like it's it could be so much easier to just like defend what you're used to it could be so much easier to defend what's been safe enough for you. So when you move into raising free people, there's accountability, which is ever present. There is um, invitations to challenge your dominant thinking. Um, there are invitations to move into authenticity, which for a lot of us is like, what does that even mean? Yeah. You know, um, it is about constantly developing language and practice for what you are noticing that you might not be able to solve, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And those things are really tricky. It also comes with a lot of shedding, like any any process of growth has a shedding and a decay and a grief. And there are times when I'm like, fuck, why she can't just listen to what I'm saying because I know what the hell I'm talking about, or, you know, whereas if I'm actually building relationship and partnership, it's not about who can outword or out whatever the hell. It's about a with, not an over or an as. Or so that work, while it has so many rewards like this relationship and so many others, it also comes with sometimes ultimatums. Like if this person is not willing to be in a relationship with me where we can both feel seen and heard, what does it look like? to move away without discarding them or walking away. You know, um, 
those are some of the tough questions that are not in that binary of either you fuck with me or you don't. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, as you're as you're saying this, I think I think back to kind of when I got on this journey, I didn't have the language of raising free people at the time, uh, which, you know, is the title of Akilah's book, plug. Um, <laughs> and it will definitely be in the show notes. Um, but you know, for me, I, my initial introduction, I believe even before I found unschooling, I found conscious parenting. And, you know, for me, you know, I grew up in, in West Philly where everything was about respect. You know, I had to respect my elders and well, let me say this also in a Christian household. So respect for authority was a huge thing, but also out in the streets growing up, getting your respect, making sure people respect you was a huge thing. And I grew up under both of those influences. And so then I become a parent one day <laughs> and my children don't give a damn about my ego. They don't give a damn about how I was raised about respect. They, you know, they grow up they're, they're They just have, they know what they want and they say it. And I remember initially my initial reaction as a young parent was to buck back, you know, like try to put them in their place, try to use physical intimidation, verbal intimidation, etc. And then I realized, you know, very early on with my first child was my daughter when she was about three, like, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to raise her the way I was raised. I don't want to have this type of violent relationship with my daughter. Why is this? Why are her actions triggering me so bad? And I started going to the internet and just start typing in keywords around just questions I had in my head about how can I do this different? And I remember I found the book, The Conscious Parent uh, by Dr. Shafali. Um, and, and that got me on my journey of understanding that it was about me. It was about recognizing what was it inside of me that needed to change? What did I need to unlearn? What did I need to heal? And there's so many times as a parent that I was like, I just gotta take this L. <laughs> I, was, I just gotta take this L because they're not intentionally trying to quote unquote disrespect me. I felt like it, I learned that it was like my job to like take the, try to search for the the underlying meaning, you know, yes. behind their, 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 let's call it their, what I learned to be an attitude or what I learned was quote unquote being disrespectful yeah, one I, I I eliminated those things and started searching for the underlying need or desire that my child had, and understanding they were communicating it the best that they knew how, and understood it was my job to one listen, let them know they have a safe space, but also then help them to communicate it in a way that made both of us feel good about our developing relationship. So it wasn't about you know taking L's to the point where they can just say or do what they want how they want. It was about me removing my ego, lowering my ego to say, it's not about trying to get, regain power over and dominance. It was just about, okay, I hear you. What's the underlying need? And if, you know, the way you said that made daddy feel X, Y, Z. Yep. And is there another way that it, we can have this conversation so you can get what you want, but also I don't have to feel this way. So it was like starting to have a relationship, a partnership, you know, with yep. my children and understanding that that wasn't, you know, creating a monster, all these other fears that right that know. everybody tells us. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. and I love that you brought up the term taking the L, right? Because you know me with language, like I love to reclaim. And L, of course, we know is loss, right? I'm gonna take this loss. 
But really what we're talking about with, in relation to children, we would take this L, it's this listening it's a learning, it's love. Like we take all the L's because, and the main one being listening, it's like, what am I listening for? Am I listening for the attitude so that I can respond to that or react to that? Or am I listening beyond that? Because it's, it, that's why I say there's this phrase that I use, their resistance is the roadmap. Resistance is the roadmap. Resistance is the roadmap, always. It doesn't mean that it's telling you always where to go, it's giving you direction. It's telling you what area is doesn't feel safe for a child. It also gives you the invitation to not expect to feel good all the time, just like in any other relationship. It ain't gonna always feel good. You're not gonna always have a teachable moment where you're like, look at that, and now it's all resolved. And as you know, doing what you do with authentic dialogue, it isn't about feeling good and so much of our mindset around parenting is that as the adult i should be comfortable i should be able to predict behavior i should be able to um feel proud of you know the, this child should validate my sense of whatever the hell so when you think about in a moment when your kid makes the face or does the thing or says the thing think about taking the l not loss but the listening the learning the love right? The opportunity yeah. to look at that resistance as what it is, which is a roadmap. And it does not always need to feel good. Children are not obligated to make adults comfortable. Write it down. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Cause that's a big one for me constantly. I'm like, why she, uh, 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 and I'm like, she is not obligated to make me comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, one of the things that I, that I'm, thinking about, you know, how we got on this journey. And one of the things that I love going back to your book, you know, um, raising free, free people, you tell that you tell the story, the origin stories, story of how you and your partner, Chris, came to be unschooling parents. Um, and then, you know, I love how you tie it and interweave it into your culture and, and the challenges that that presented and how you navigated those challenges. Um, could you just speak a little bit to how you and Chris got to the point of being unschooling parents? Yeah, um, you know, as you said, it's like super detailed in the book. And essentially when we, when the girls got to, when Marley, who's our oldest, got to six school age, which is a term that I don't use anymore. Um, she was excited about school because she's a very outgoing person. She's 18 now, <laughs> Whew, um, which is kind of like amazing. And like, when did that happen? But she was so excited about school. And before that, we were very like uh, conventional in some ways. You know, they had their little workbooks and both girls knew how to read by the time they were probably like three because I, because of my fear, you know, I had this idea that if they couldn't say something when I sent them to daycare, at least they could write it down and da, da, da. And I did this like really forceful method of teaching them to read that I cringe when I think about. Um, but anyway, after Marley got into school and she got labeled gifted and talented and they started giving her a bunch of different tests and Chris and I were like, oh my God, this is so great. She's gifted. And then um, the girls are like less than two years apart. So Sage started school shortly thereafter. She got the same label. And we noticed that both girls became 
their personalities were shifting. Marley went from being like really outgoing and loved to ask questions to being really like cautious about whether she was asking the right question or, or if she was saying something wrong. And we also learned that they were testing her during recess. So she was missing recess and that didn't matter to them. And I'm like, uh, what it mattered to her. They also put Marley in particular on what Chris and I felt like was some kind of pedestal, which made it harder for her to relate to the other kids. So it's like they were having her believe that she was better than them because she could freaking read or some shit, you know? And we were like, wait a minute. You know, we just were so confused and concerned and unsure. And on one hand, we were like, well, she's getting all the academic attention. And, you know, they've brought in a teacher from the high school for her language arts levels and and all this shit. And, and that became less and less important compared to Marley the person and Sage the person. And Sage is a very quiet person. She doesn't need people to feel connected. She's still like that and she's 16. Chris is a very similar energy. And so she made up this term and she was like, they keep peopling on me and I don't like it. And, you know, so we just were listening to those things and Marley said, and I say it in the book and I remember it so vividly where she was like, I don't even have time to think my thoughts. And I, and I was like, oh. and, and I could relate to that from my life in corporate America. Yeah. I was like, yo, it's like they're in a cubicle, but like we're the boss and we are making them stay. So we realized, Chris and me, that we were extensions of the school system. So if like the school was riding for the system and we were riding for the school, who the hell was riding for Marley and Sage? So that's when we were like, oh shit, shut it down, close piano, just like leave. And we withdrew them from school and still went into schoolishness because we put them in Georgia Virtual Academy and we were doing basically school at home. But doing that after maybe about a year or so, I don't know, with just like spurts of uh, what we thought was laziness, where it's like, all right, this, we won't follow the curriculum, blah, blah, blah. We, that started to infiltrate the trap of schooling. And then we moved over away from studenthood into personhood, right? Really understanding not only our children, but our own confines and our own colonized ideas of relationship and learning. And that, you know, we said we might go back if it didn't work out. And that was 2012. We yeah. ain't been back, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, so powerful. So powerful that you all, you and Chris had the foresight, the courage to put your children before the, the, the path. You know, because we were all taught that the path that they were on was the path, the one yep. that every parent wanted for their child and wished their child could be on, the one where we could put the bumper sticker on our car and say our kid is gifted and talented. And they have to bring, you know, the one that we can brag to our family at Thanksgiving, they got to bring the high school teacher, yep. teach my baby girl, language arts, and so forth and so yep. on. Y'all were on that path. And what I've seen is that a lot of children that are on that path, on that gifted and talented path, when they push back and complain to their parents, it's like, but you're going to have so much success in life. And they continue to push down their person. Yes. And the fact that you, like you said, you focus more on the person instead of the student. And that's just, that's just visionary. That's, 
it's, it was an eventuality though i will you know i want to make that clear like it wasn't if people we didn't start out there you know we definitely were trying to you know they're there hun when you come home you can think your own thoughts obviously you know like we just try to make it nicer and even when we withdrew them from school prison we also just try to make it nicer but right. which is why now i'm such an out loud unschooling organizer because there is no prescription for this Right, like you can read my book and all the wonderful books, and those are good for um, sometimes language, uh, sometimes community, which are vital parts of the practice. Mm -hmm. But really, it's the observation of our children and the chance to observe ourselves that allowed us to start to recognize, oh, I'm actually reacting to some fear-based shit. And of all the, for all the positives of this currency of a brilliant child, there are many, many, many consequences of this. And Chris and I both also got those labels when we came to the US. So we are intimately familiar with the cost of the gifted label as well. Yeah, 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 that's a good point because I was as well, you know, I was in mentally gifted classes growing yep. up. I went to a, a high school for the, the, the ta most talented and gifted kids in the city. Yep. And ultimately I found myself, once I reached the age of graduating, unhappy and, and not in my purpose and uh, following the script that everyone laid before me, you know, following that path. And then I had to forge this very unconventional, long drawn out journey to finding my way to me as an adult. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I wasted so much time. You know, I wasted so much time getting to me. Yeah. When I became an unschooling advocate, it was like, if I can just clear the path, you know, help my words, my actions, my presence can help clear the path so that other young people can get to them sooner and honor them and appreciate who they are sooner without having to play the game, you know, then, then I've done my part. And that's why to this it. day, you know, I continue to be an outspoken advocate for unschooling um, you know, for those reasons. So, and I'm not, so grateful that you are Sinjata because knowledge of self is contagious. You know, ironically, it's about the self, but when you're in a space with, with someone who has that knowledge of self, it also is an invitation vibrationally for you to check in with yourself. Cause that's the, that's the other aspect. Like a lot of people, if you're listening to this and you have limited experience with unschooling, and you have the the mindset that it is a privileged thing that you have to have a certain level of resources to do it i challenge that i challenge that because i don't know a person who is um mentally in their in their whole self that unschooling is not for yeah i don't because i don't understand who liberation is not for Right. Like we we start out there. And as you said, you wasted so much time. That's how I felt, too, with all the check marks and all the accolades and all the papers and things that my mother still has saved to this day for how amazing it was for all the awards and the things. The cost of that, the cost of those things, we we have it backwards. We take childhood and we put childhood in in a prison. And we say like you earn the right to your freedom and liberation and your own thoughts and knowledge of self when you get to 18 or 21 or whatever. Whereas I believe and my observations are that if you have that freedom and that space when you are young, one, the people you bring with you, the, the way that when Marley and Sage and many other unschooling kids are in a space, 
other children start to bring their resistance muscles up. Just like when I'm in a space with people who are free at another level, I'm like, oh shit, I can just get more tattoos. I can't, it could be a simple thing like that, or it could be a bigger thing like leaving a job or another toxic relationship. Right. There's a contagion around that, that I'm also really excited about. So if you think that unschooling is not for you, replace the word unschooling with freedom and then start to investigate from that space. Can I be free? What might freedom look like at this level? Can it be incremental? It does my child deserve to be free. What does freedom mean to my child or any child? Am I in relationship with that knowledge? Yeah. 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 So powerful. Mm. So as we near the end of our conversation, um, I want to ask, is there a story that you can share that has inspired you in in your work and in, in your vision, you know, for family culture and, you know, and how it all intersects with with unschooling and your raising free people work? Yeah, um, really, <laughs> even though the podcast is something that I created, it is not mine, you know, um, it is. A, commun a communal thing. And I feel like so many of the people's stories on that podcast are the things that continue to fuel me. Like if you just go down the list and look at the titles and see how people got to their liberation work, their intergenerational liberation work, it is fascinating. It is inspiring. Um, I also think about right now, because we're in a space where we have a backyard and we haven't had a yard in a very long time. I think about stories in nature. I think about the resilience of like weeds or certain plants that like die down and it looks like it's a dead, dead. And then it comes right back up again and has like flowers on it and it's thriving. Uh, those are some of the stories. I'm also really excited over the past couple of years about stories that are not told by words. You know, what are some of the stories that are in our bodies, in our observations of things that we notice when we look up at the sky or down at the ground, or I, that, that's what I encourage. That's what I'm on right now. Like really feeling through language and resonance. That's not just about words because that's another schoolish thing to be you probably get this all the time articulate or well spoken and there's such a currency to that so i would say i'm really inspired by the stories that are not beautifully told but beautifully seen heard felt yeah yes yes so as we think about the future five ten fifteen twenty years from now when you think about the ripple effect of the raising free people message that you, as you say, is not just your own, I say fair to free child as the work of the podcast, but also just the raising free people message that, you know, you, you embody and that you create community around what's your vision for family culture, mm. you know, and the future of it. Yeah. I see partnership, you know, I see even the term conscious parenting. Um, my friend Aisha Cleland shared this thing a few weeks ago, um, saying that she was so like disenchanted with the term because for her it was like, so this, this idea of consciousness, or we're being good to our kids, we're being better to our kids. 
for these reasons, but we're really talking about a human trait. We're really talking about partnership. We're really talking about being in right relationship with. So a lot of what I envision when I close my eyes and let myself imagine, because I know there's power in that vibrationally, is that we are not even tied to language around like conscious parenting versus another type. We have normalized partnership. We have normalized the idea that power is never over. It is always with. We have normalized the L that is listening and love and learning. Um, That's what I think about. I think about a lot of the things that are called soft skills now as being the primary skills. You and I both work sometimes in corporate spaces. I think about going into a corporate space and one of the first things is like, do you like chocolate or not? Do what are your favorite berries? What do you like going more into personhood and less into the labels and the things that being so much more normalized that we don't even have a term called conscious parenting because we're in relationship and when we're out of that, that's what we're gravitated towards. What do we do about what we're out of? Not how do we actually see people as more human because they are younger or less moneyed or a different complexion or whatever. Such a, such a, such a rich vision. Yes, <laughs> it resonates so much. My heart is just thumping um, as you speak into that vision for the future. I'm so grateful. You know that you're you're here to to speak it to dream it you know because i feel like the more that we do this and out loud it gives other people permission to do the same and right. you know as always I'm, I'm so grateful for your presence i'm grateful for you know the energy that you put into all that you do um and this is this has been amazing and i'm, I'm glad that my Grow Dialogue community has had a chance to meet you and go deeper into who you are. And I'm really excited for them to learn more and to go find your work and find you <laughs> and just, you know, continue to go on this journey with you. So how can they do that? Thank you. Yeah. And and I just love and appreciate you too, for a lot of the same reasons that you said, Sanjata. I've been in your workshops. We've been in, you know, in community talking. You've been at the crib, like all the different ways. And I really love and appreciate what you're doing too. It's so important in so many ways. Um, yeah. So thank you for the invitation and the expansion. So the two main spaces are raisingfreepeople.com and schoolishness.com. Schoolishness.com has a lot of language and also things that you can buy that are connected to the movement. And then raisingfreepeople.com is really the hub where you'll find the podcast and my content trunk for things that I've been creating since probably like 2012. All of those things live on raisingfreepeople.com. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Go check it out, y'all. It's so worth it. I I am a constant visitor and consumer (laughs) of Akila's work content you know uh products everything because it enriches my life and it it inspires me to keep you know walking and living into my purpose and it it inspires me to you know show up and be in relationship with people and and the partnership and then the love and the listening and the learning and all the things that Akila shared so you know a big part of my journey has been that learning and and a willingness to unlearn so Akila's work has been so instrumental in that so I encourage all of you, if anything resonated with you, you know, from what you heard to, to please go and, and follow and find and listen and learn and love. Yeah. So as always, until next time, I love y'all. Peace. Peace.
Thanks for tuning in to the Grow Dialogue podcast. Remember to join our Grow Dialogue community to continue the conversation, activate authentic dialogue, and to get exclusive content, discounts, and special offers on curated artwork and music from independent artists from the Americas. Check out our show notes for more info and visit www.growdialogue.com to join our live events. Don't forget to support us on Patreon. We really appreciate your support.